I had to look back to see if everyone was standing or sitting. I thought, I can't be sitting for this. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. I hope you give thanks to the choir, the orchestra, and Andre and the whole music team for just lifting us up before the throne like this. What a rousing beginning. It is so good to be here with you. We have looked forward to this. It's been uh, a little season since we first uh, began a conversation about this. Had a phone call and that took one thing and we've been praying and and the Lord has put in a kind of a special way actually uh, this on our hearts and we feel that there is something going on uh, in, in the way Lord has, uh, the Lord has put this uh, together. I am uh, both humbled to be here following uh, 35 years of ministry by Dr. Reed, and I'm excited to see what God is doing and have planned to do in the future. I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, one of the, your members is, is one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century, if I say anything right, he taught it to me. If I say anything wrong, I learned that from other professors. Uh, this is Dr. James Leo Garrett. Uh, he's officially become, as we just agreed on a minute ago, a back row Baptist uh, sitting right down there. Uh, amazing times uh, with him uh, at uh, Southwestern Seminaries back a little bit years ago, right? This is a special uh, Sunday morning in so many ways. I was thinking, how do I put all of this together? Um, this is a time of transition. A time of transition, as you saw that I, I wrote and in one of the little things I think that have been handed out, uh, is God's time to create bridges to the future. There's something unknown about what's to happen. 35 years. I know I pastored First Baptist Church of Copenhagen. I was the eighth pastor since 1839. Everybody had 35 years there. <laughs> that was unusual. And we would still have been there had it not been for illness in the family. Uh, an amazing testimony to the faithfulness of God. And yet, as one of my friends said just the other day, and I thought, what a profound way of stating this. I called, he's, uh, he's a leader in the, <clears throat> among Baptists in Romania, and I was working on, on how we could connect with them in a stronger way uh, for theological education. So I called him up, and I said, how is it going? I haven't talked to you for at least 10 years. And he said, everything is just according to plan. Not my plan, but God's plans. I'm not sure I know what's going on exactly, but God knows. And I thought, that's a profound way. We want to say everything is according to plan, and we automatically think our plans, right? Yes? You're there, right? Yes? Yeah? Good. But God is not losing sleep over the future. God is well, alive, and awake and fully engaged in what happens in First Baptist Church of Nacogdoches. That's an amazing thing. A transition is indeed a tremendous period for God to build a bridge to get his people ready for what is to come. And then think of that. It's another thought that just kind of rushed to my mind when I was thinking about this. We are in this period that is called Lent. 
which is the preparatory period, getting ready for the death and resurrection of Christ, getting ready to meet him as he meets us in that event of the cross and resurrection. Churches around the globe are celebrating this time of preparation, extra emphasis and focus on submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I want to read a text with you this morning uh, from Colossians uh, chapter 3, the first 11 verses that I think speaks to this. I've called, as you may have seen on the bulletin, this message, Focus. And I'll speak on that in just a moment. Let's read the text. Colossians chapter 3. If you're at, at Philippians, just keep going. Right? Yes? <laughs> Since then, you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with his practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Focus. Think of that term for just a moment. Really what you have here, since you have been raised with Christ, focus or set your heart on, desire, seek, strive for, focus. All these things are kind of included in that word that we translate in the translation NIV that I just read from by set your minds on. Or set your heart on as you could as well have said. Focus. It's an interesting thing and, and uh, not many of you would know that the, the Danish word here is literally translated funnel your thoughts. You know, I mean, the Danish people may not think of it that way, but the noun that is translated into a verb here is the word funnel. And it is as if to say that whatever is on your mind, you've got to funnel it all in one direction. This is where you focus. And the Greek word kind of expresses that in many ways. And just think about the word focus 
for a moment. If I said to you, focus on what matters, because if you don't, you'll soon find yourself looking at all things that does not. Focus on what matters, or you will find yourself wasting time on the things that don't. Yes? Some of you are photographers. But even if all you have is a phone and you take a picture every so often, you know that a picture can be out of focus. When a picture is out of focus, it's blurred, you can't really see who's in this picture. I think this may be aunt or uncle, whatever. But you're not quite sure because it's blurry, it's out of focus. And then some of you are a little bit better at taking good pictures and they're sharp and you can distinguish every last one of those who are in the picture. And if you're really good and you have a really good camera, you can focus in on one person and that person sticks out and everything else behind it is dim. You've seen pictures like that, I know, right? We all have. There's one person that's really sharp and everyone in the background are just kind of blurry. Deliberately so because it's focused in on one person. Focus. We know what that means when we start thinking about it. We may not be as well-versed in thinking about that as how we think about the things of Christ. We sing it, and it's easy to, it's easy to sing, isn't it? All the things around, all the things of earth will grow strangely dim when we look at Jesus. The imagery that kind of throws up is exactly that, that one person is in center and everyone else behind are kind of blurry. You may be able to kind of see some, but mostly you clearly see the one in the center, standing out. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. That is exactly what's going on in this text. Paul has spent two chapters outlining the Christian faith. This is doctrine, if you will. This is, these are faith statements. They are expressions of what we believe. For example, in chapter 1, verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, and Paul establishes Christ as the very center of all things. And the first two chapters flow just like that, and then since now, because of this, since you have been raised with Christ. Now, focus. The statements are here. This is what you believe. We're clear about that. There now will be consequences. That's how this works. When you look at it and you start seeing the text and the sins then and realize Paul does this all the time throughout his letters. He's first stating an indicative. This is what God has done. 
This is the factual reality. For example, in chapter 2 of Ephesians, he said, God broke down the walls that separate. That's the indicative. That's the reality. That's the statement of what God has done. This is our faith, yes? Therefore, don't have any divisions among you. Everything Christ is saying is, is built upon what he has done. So when Paul expresses the Christian faith, he says, this is what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ. Therefore, this is what you must live out if you are to reflect the faith you say you have. This is pretty powerful stuff when you think about it, right? These things are not kind of separated. When you look at this whole letter, if you read through the whole thing, and, and you really can, if you sit down, it'll take you about 15 minutes, I think. It's just a few pages here in Scripture. There are always practical consequences for faith. These belief statements are not esoteric academic claims that we just hold that does not affect how we live. In fact, you can turn it around pretty easily and say, just look at your own life. Don't look at any other people's lives. They've got enough of their own. Right? Look at your life. And then from that, what flows out, you can conclude not what you say you believe, but what deep down is what you truly believe. It does not matter that you can declare your faith as truth if you cannot demonstrate this truth in your life. That's a pretty straightforward, almost verbatim summary of Paul's letter to Titus, chapter 1, verse 16. It does not matter that you can declare your faith to be true or even as truth if you cannot demonstrate or will not demonstrate that truth in your life. You notice very quickly here, Paul is saying all these things are, that leads to idolatry. And really what he is saying is that people who are not seeing that connection between what they believe and how they live, that people like that are kind of like pagan because that is the very essence of pagan religion, that you pay homage to a god who then has to turn around and pay you back. You're doing it to be paid back. You give something, whatever it may be, in the pagan religion, and then the God that they serve has to turn around and do something. Christian faith is the opposite of that. The Christian faith is a call to live a life that follows Christ. The teaching, or the beliefs, if you will, and the life do not separate. Faith and following goes together. Faith claims, lifestyle, 
I've fused. Paul speaks, chapter one, chapter two, and as soon as he's done with declaring the faith, the practical question arises: so what? So what? How is it possible really to live the resurrection life? We just sang about it. We're going to sing about it more in the weeks to come and in just a few weeks, we're all going to stand to our feet and claim that he broke the power of death. How do we live that life? A life that is characterized by the kind of victory over evil and misery and sin that was so evident with Jesus. Let me speak to your friends. Um, the First Baptist Church of Nacogdoches is on the bridge to the future, yes? That's what transition is all about. What could be more powerful than during this time, each of you and together all of us say that's what's going to happen in my life, in our life together, that we will so focus on God's call. We will so focus on the life that is characterized by Christ's resurrection that everything else grows dim. There is one focus, and that is Christ and his mission. Oh my, imagine what can happen in Nacogdoches. <laughs> Not to talk about even all of East Texas. Or should we just say all of Texas? And everyone from Texas know that that's about all that matters, right? Yes? <laughs> and all over the globe. Jesus himself in the Gospel of John puts it like this. He says, because I live, you shall live also. Our text here today, if you look at it and just keep your Bibles open, I'm going to kind of stay in the text, if you will, puts it like this. Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts or focus on the things above or the things of Christ. There's just a strong emphasis here on what it means to live your life in Christ. Let me see if I can unwrap that a little bit. You know what the Bible calls eternal life, which is given to you as a gift when it comes to faith, is not primarily a life that is to come once you die. We try to, and normally emphasize that we will receive eternal life when we die except the Bible says you're already 
received it. And certainly it speaks about the longevity that death is not going to interrupt life. We're going to be with God forever in all eternity. It does speak to that. But it's not just about longevity. It's also about quality, not just quantity. This is a life that is eternal because it continues into eternity, but it is also a life that is eternal because it is characterized by eternal qualities. It is simply eternal because Christ saturates this life and the quality is different from it. It sets a different culture for you. To be in Christ is to live in that sphere where he reigns, where he is God. It is to live in that context on that basis. That creates culture. The church is a different culture than the world, friends. It's an alternative culture. I'm going to get back to that. I think this is so tremendously is significant. These days we have so many people saying, well, I don't need to, I can have my own private faith. I don't need the church. And I'm going, really? Give me a single place where you can see that being the reality. And I'll show you a thousand places where it says the opposite. You are a Christian because you are part of the body of Christ. And that is a culture that is, that is, encapsulated by the teaching of Christ, that is a culture that is guided and directed by that. And hear how important this is. You're not just American, that you may be. You're not just a Texan, that you may be. All this is important, but it's not all that important. What really matters is that you are a Christian. Uh Uh-huh. I know that. I moved from one culture to this culture and there was no culture shift as I was with the church there to the church. Now outside the church, there were all kinds of culture shifts. But when I was with the family, the people of God, there was a culture. We felt at home. You all sing in different songs because it's in a different language. Yes? as it would be if you go to Mexico or you go to Romania or go to South Africa, wherever you go. They will have different songs. But it all expresses the same relationship. That's what really matters. Christian community is the body, the community of Christ. Eternal life is the quality that is expressed in this. Now allow me to talk a little bit about that word life again, just to unwrap that and unpack that just a little bit. It's kind of a different word, isn't it? The word life. Most people think of that in terms of an antonym for death, like it's the opposite of death. I'm alive, I'm not dead. Which I guess at the very basic level, that would be true, right? What does it mean to be alive? It means I'm not dead. Yeah, I get that. But there's so much more. Life is way more than just the opposite of death. Life happened 
Life happens when you are made alive to something. Are we getting this? Life happens when we are made alive to something. It happens when little kids are, are just having a ball and when they're, they're playing and they're full of joy and, and they, something great happens. They come running up to you like my little grandkid will come running up to you and say, Fafa, which is my name, right? Fafa. And he has so many things he needs to say in so short a time, he can't get the words out, right? His eyes are sparkling. And I just go, no way. And he goes, yes way, yes way, yes way. <laughs> life happens right there, right? That's life. It's not just the opposite of death. You know, teenagers get together and they, they play the music that they all love and, and they're just ice and sparkling. They're talking. They're talking about fast cars or, or great cool motorbikes, whatever in the world they're talking about. You know, no girls and no one is talking about hot guys. None of that. But you know, when they talk about the other things, <laughs> life happens. And that's also what is the case when, when Paul says, for me to live is Christ. Life is Christ, if you will. So much more than just the opposite of death. Life happens when you put in motion, when you're getting excited, when you feel the adrenaline rush so every little fiber of your body sold that new power, new eagerness, new desire to bring forth more life is what happens. Yes? Since you have been raised with Christ. Therefore, now, focus on those things. To surrender your life to Christ is to die to yourself and give him control. You know, it's been said a long time ago. Actually, I think it was St. Augustine who said that in the fourth century after Christ, he said, if Christ is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. Think about what is above. Set your mind, focus. Some are saying, well, it doesn't work to be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. When I meet people with those kind of sentences, I always feel that's kind of cute. Because I feel a lot more people who are not focused on heaven are not all that earthly good. This, of course, does not mean that you should just sit around and just stare up. But it does mean this, that our priority are heaven's priorities, that our goals are heaven's goals, that our means are heaven's means. Set your mind upon the things above. There's a lot of people who come to faith but their plans and their goals and their purpose priorities pretty much remain the same. Before you know it, 
The Christian faith has become like an add-on, maybe like a spice. Like a good steak, life, and then you add a little salt and it may be just a tinge better, but pretty much just the same. Same desires, same basic convictions, same basic lifestyle, same attitudes. Let me ask you, has that happened to you? I need to say that to you as well, I guess, right? Yes? Has that happened to you? I know it happens so easily. What really, really changed when you gave your life to Christ? Think of it again. For you individually, this is an important question. For us as a church, on this threshold to the future, so to speak, this is a true question, a practical one even. Has your focus changed by the presence of Christ? The Bible says, Look here in the text again. Those who have been raised with Christ should be changed. Those who receive Christ as their Lord and Savior must experience this shift in focus. Other things become important. Focus is now not on the things of this earth, but on what is above. Our talent, our enthusiasm, our life power is to be invested in the transformation of what belongs to this earth. Maybe I can give an illustration from Scripture itself on this. Think of this. Another point of transformation in the people of God. Israel was slaves in Egypt. God in miraculous, powerful ways Open the waters, let him walk through the waters, through the desert, and they came to the gates of the promised land in Kadesh Barnea, and they were ready to go in. They sent some spies in, and they come back. Only two says, we can go in because God has promised this, and we're not here because of our doing, but because of God's doing. The rest said, no, they're too strong. It's too difficult. There's just got to be too much pain that we can't do this. And so they decided not to to enter the promised land. What happened? God sent them back into the desert for 40 years. What well, they just were wandering around until everyone from that generation had died. No one who had come out of Egypt was still alive except for Joshua and Caleb. Why them? Because they had trusted God. Their focus had changed. It wasn't about them anymore. It was about God's kingdom. Things had changed. They had their hearts and their thoughts and their focus in the promised land. It was a promise from God and they knew it would happen because of that. And they lived their lives in light of that. Whoa. Woo. Yeah. Hmm. How are you? on that 
be a practical question. I'm not trying to be theoretical. This is about as practical as it comes. Because how we think about everything and how we therefore conclude and act upon everything. God's word encourages us to move on. Follow him. Change our focus. And so as he goes on in verse 5, put to death therefore the things of this earth, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And he, he mentions now an ugly quintuplet, five-legged monster, if you will. All of those that focus on us desiring what really is not ours and think that draws us away or draws away from God. A lot to be said about this, but I just looked at my clock. And I heard Dr. Reed never, ever exceeded 20 minutes. In the <laughs> what Paul is saying, all this may be what you used to be, but now things have changed because you've been raised with Christ. Strive to kill the things that belong to the earthly nature. And then he moves on to what looks more like a six-legged six monster. And like social sins, the first were emotional and mental sins. This is a list of social sins, our reaction toward others. And through it all runs anger and rage and malice and evil doing and so on. Things again that may make us think that we have authority like God because the Bible says that the wrath belongs to God alone. Only he will be the judge. Slander, talking about people ever so kindly behind their back and leaving no doubt that you think very little of them. We can go on. Let me Move on with this. These things, Paul says, surrender to death. If you want a moment where you're thinking, I need this threshold. I know some things need to change. It's been gnawing at me for a long time. God is dealing with me. But I need kind of like a moment. This, my friend, is your moment. The moment for the church, it's the moment for you. This is God's threshold to the future. Use it for his glory. Think about your own life. You know, Paul is mentioning these things. And just think through your list. If you're going to do a list for your life, you know what they are. You don't have to tell them to anyone else, but you do have to let God know that you're aware of it. And you're ready to put it to death. Give these things over. Prioritize the things that come from God. And then look, verse 10, if you're there still in, in the Bible, the most amazing, amazing sentence. And I'm going to round up with this. 
put on the new self. Put it on. Put on the new self. It's like you're putting a new coat on, if you will. Which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. Are you getting this? This is like amazing. There are two words here uh, in the Greek that, that speaks to newness. One is the word neos, which refers to that which is becoming new. It was old yesterday, it's new today. It's this kind of a temporal thing. This is what it was yesterday. Now this is this. There's a difference, a change, a conversion, if you will, from before to after. Yes, we all get this? Then the very next word, instead of just repeating that word, like it sounds like he's doing in English, he's using the other word, kainos, which speaks to the quality of the newness. It's not that it was and then it's becoming. The quality is changing. The very essence of what used to be is no longer like this. It's an amazing kind of thing. Something fresh, something different has happened. People will look at you, they'll see it in your eyes, they will feel it in your bones, they will know something happened because there's not just the before and after, it is that, but it's also a quality change. Change in essence, if you will. Something new and fresh. We, the human being, if you will, were formed in the image of God. Yes, that should come as no surprise to anyone who has ever sat in the pew. Yes, we're formed in the image of God. Then we were deformed by sin. All the things kind of that Paul mentioned that we just mentioned in brief a second ago. And now, Christ is stretching out his hand. He did so on the cross and in the resurrection and he's doing so to you as a risen Lord every day that you can be transformed by the Spirit of God. And when you are transformed, you will come back and you'll be reformed into the true image of God which is found in Christ. The question is, have you been transformed? That's a question not only for Lent. That's a question for a time of transition. And actually, that's an ever-looming question for we who live in this world. You're formed in the image of God from the beginning. Deformed by sin question is, have you been transformed by Christ's spirit so that you'll be reformed back into the fullness of his image? Strive for heaven on earth. Can I say it like this? It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter who you've been. Notice how wonderfully this text rounds up. 
There's no Greek. There's no Jew. There's no circumcised. There's no uncircumcised. There's no barbarian, no Scythian, no slave, no free. Christ is all and is in all. Are you getting it? Let's pray. Father, you alone searches the depth of our being, our thoughts, of our hearts. Father, we ask that by your spirit, would you do a work in us right here? Begin with me, oh Lord, begin with me. To every pew, every person, this whole community together, may we, the First Baptist Church of Nacogdoches, be characterized as a people whose focus is on the things above. Why? Because we have been raised to live this new life. As we open for this invitation, Father, we just speak. Some may need to come and, and just bow their knees and say, Lord, I need to talk to you. Others may need to come and, and find someone, grab their hand and say, please pray with me. I need to know what in the world he's talking about. What is this life with Christ? I may have heard about it, but I'm not sure I really know it. Father, would you stir in our hearts? If some needs to say, I must find a home in this community. I want to be part of a people of God, not just flounder, but be a part. Whatever it is, Father, that you know that the individual need to decide at this moment. Stir our hearts and make us willing to follow. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand. We're going to sing our hymn of invitation, and there'll be people here. Uh, we'll pray with you. Um, of course, the whole front is, is there for you to come and kneel. Some may even want to come and just, just pray for God to move in mighty ways during this time of transition. Thank you.